0: What's going on, everybody? It's that time again, the All Sooners Podcast, episode 142. On this wonderful Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. Josh Caldé in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, we're going on the road for the first time this year. Last year, we had some adventures uh, on the road contests, and so looking forward to uh, hitting it for the first time this year. In Lincoln, Nebraska, I'm excited. Let's do this, OU Nebraska, on Saturday.
1: If I fall down and bust my ass in a cornfield this year, (laughs) I'm worried about someone smuggling their own like
2: helium tank that uh, try to get the red balloons and it blowing up in our face somehow, some
1: way. That could happen. Yeah,
0: yeah. Between Lincoln and then later in the year Ames, this is the this is the season of corn. This is the corn year because uh, we're gonna have lots of opportunities. Um, to try and swipe some corn, a la Brent Venables in his youth, um, <laughs> just hop out of the car, grab it, and go. Nobody will say anything. There's no cameras in the middle of a field. Just what let if it they, happen. What if he gets off
1: the airplane and there's like state OS uh, uh, Nebraska state investigators there, and they handcuff him and say this is for stealing corn back <laughs> in 1974.
0: The statute of limitations has not That's ran right. out on that. You Don't admitted mess to with it. unbelievable uh excited to get up there um i've never been up there ryan has attended a game there before who you've covered the games there before Uh, i've never been up there um to lincoln and actually a a game at nebraska i've been in nebraska we were in omaha for two two full weeks a month basically uh just a few months ago so i'm i'm familiar with the state but uh, as far as lincoln goes never been up there so looking forward to it gonna be a lot of fun um, should be a, a madhouse. I mean, the firing of Scott Frost only makes it, I think, more crazy because the fans have a have you've given them just enough a glimmer of hope to be fully invested because they got the interim and and teams historically play pretty good um, first game after a firing. I think I saw some numbers that are like in the last like I don't know, however many years teams are like. 500 against the spread, uh, when, when the first game after firing their head coach and stuff like that. Obviously, if you're firing your head coach, you're a bad team, so going 500 against the spread or whatever, that's that's not bad. So, um, gonna be fun to see how that shakes out this weekend for sure. Oklahoma and Nebraska, we'll talk about that game a lot here. Obviously, coming up in just a, a little bit, let's start off with how we typically do, like we did last week. Final thoughts on the Kent State game to kind of close the book on that one. Um, Sooners obviously won that one 33-3. If you missed our post-game show, it's still there. We recorded that thing like one thirty in the morning up there at the stadium. Um, with our immediate thoughts, I we know we've had some days to peel back from it, look at it back, kind um, of see some more reaction to it. Um, what are some final thoughts on that game before we turn the page and, and look ahead?
1: Well, I think we've hit most of the, most of the high points. Uh, Oklahoma is tackling better, although Ted Roof said – uh, Monday, uh, we missed a lot of tackles. I think I counted two in the first game against UTEP. There was probably more, but I counted two that were obvious. Uh, there were a lot more than two last week against Kent State. But again, from where this defense has come from—from from 2018 to year three under Alex Grinch to right now—they have really, I got to say, they're they're showing a lot of. Um, You know, they're buying into what Brent Venables is selling. Well, part of what he's selling is physical contact at practice, a physical training camp, a lot of tackling drills at training camp. I think it's paid off. I think that's the highlight. Offensively, you're looking at the offensive line needs to play better. I asked Jeff Levy that. I asked Brent Venables that. How does the offensive line play better? Uh, What needs to happen for the offensive line to play better? And basically, Venables said, hey, every position needs to play better. What we're looking at this week is chemistry, chemistry, with a new starting five. You got uh, Wanya Morris back on the offensive line. So um, this team's got to improve its chemistry up front on the offensive line. Um, they need to keep continuing that trajectory of tackling better as a defense. They, I think they're going to be physical. I think they're going to be excited. I don't think there's going to be, like, emotion's going to be a problem for this team moving forward. But what we've seen from the first two games is, um, they need to. There are some areas, some little corners, some little pockets here and there where there are maybe maybe not red flags, but some bright orange flags or maybe dark orange flags. I don't know. I don't know how to say orange on an OU podcast and make it <laughs> make it come out right. Uh, oh, let's just call them red flags. Maybe there's some tiny little red flags in uh, in that we've seen in these first two games and stuff like that can crop up when you're playing somebody like Nebraska in Lincoln, and it can crop up when you get into Big 12 play as well.
2: Yeah, I think that when you just go back, we hit on it immediately in the post game, but the offensive line performance looks even worse when you go back and watch it and see that, hey, it literally wasn't three three rushers. There's like a delayed blitz. Like there were just moments where the communication was off. There were moments where guys were just turned the wrong way for where the direction of the run's going, all that stuff. So uh, on one hand, it can either be, hey – That's mental stuff, right? So maybe that's a little bit more encouraging than if the pocket was just getting pushed on bull rushes, things like that, right? Because that's mental stuff. But on the other hand, it's three starters that returned from last year's offensive line that had these mental issues all year long. And one of those guys who's now a starter this year couldn't get on the field last year. So he couldn't supplant one of those guys last year that was having those issues. So interesting to see. Uh, We've heard about the all new Wanye, right? The, Rededication, all that stuff, that was the story up until right before camp when Wanya Morris became a off-the-field issue, keeps you out for two games. So let's see. He's back on the field. Did all of that work during the spring and summer? Is it going to pay off? Can adding him help that out? Maybe raise the ceiling in the group. I'm just not sure that adding a starting right tackle is going to help your communication across the line.
0: Yeah. No, there's certainly some aspects that are – you know, alarming on the offensive side. Obviously, like who've said defensively, it's been good. I mean, you get 16 total points in two games. Competition wasn't amazing, obviously, but that's not you'll take that. I mean, you give up, you know, one total touchdown in the first two weeks. Uh, you're in pretty good shape. They're right at the top. You saw, I'm sure you football tweeted that graphic. They're right at the top of tackles for a loss and sacks nationally. And again, it's two games against not great teams. Probably both teams, um, both teams last year at least. Um, so we'll see how they, that shakes out down the line. But um, you know, good start defensively, offensively, been kind of hit or miss. Um, I do think overall, as it's peeled back the the game as a as a whole has been viewed pretty favorably, all things considered. Because just because just on a Saturday where A and M loses at home to Appalachian State, and, and like we talked about, Nebraska loses at home, and Marshall beast Notre Dame and South Bend. It just feels like overall it's kind of being tossed aside as a – they got to a slow start. They ran away with it. They won by 30 points at home. And I, I those other games make it seem a little friendlier just because, you know, on a Saturday where Appalachia State, they dominated a and M. I I mean, that was something I didn't realize at the time because we're obviously we're at the stadium and, uh, you know, I'm just seeing the scoreboard thinking, oh, they pulled it out 17-14. Statistically, that game should not have even been – nearly that close app state completely dominated the box score in that game. So, um, things like that where the Sooners run away with it, I think you can kind of live with it a little more than maybe I thought at the time that first half was really alarming. So Sooners get the job done. They did get to two and Oh, they move up knee people to number six, Georgia goes up to number one. Bama slides down number two after their close call at Texas. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. 3-4-5 stays the same. I like the 5-6-7. It's pretty fun because it's Clemson 5, OU 6, USC 7. Obviously, just a lot of shared coaches in those three teams there, so that's kind of fun. Oklahoma State is at 8, and then Kentucky-Arkansas round out the top 10. I mean, OU's been kind of under the radar, I think. Not a lot of people talked about them as a serious contender as the season started. Number 9 was a pretty fair spot, but they're just kind of moving their way up here at 6 now. I mean, you're talking about obviously you know, a week or two away from maybe being a top-five team here, Oklahoma is going to start getting more and more attention nationally if they can you know, keep finding ways to win.
1: There's, there's, there's a lot of growth that has taken place in this program over the last nine months. Uh, but what you see on the field against UTEP, you see on the field against Kent State, you see a lot of room for more growth. And I'm talking specifically offensively. Those two three-and-outs in the first half against UTEP, followed by that abysmal first-half performance, Against Kent State before they un- took the took the the reins off and let Marvin Mims run, uh, and he got them a touchdown right before halftime, and then he was unleashed in the in the second half, and they kicked in twenty four points in the in the third quarter. That yeah, that's what you want, but boy, that first half performance and then those those uh, couple of handful possessions against uh, UTEP make you kind of wonder about Jeff Levy's tempo design and. Uh, what teams are doing to them defensively scheming them up guys this is utep and kent state that stuff should not happen against utep and kent state respectable opponents sure okay yeah. give you that but um this it's listen this this was the strength of schedule that oklahoma played is probably somewhere in the middle of the pack there's been a lot of teams who have gone up against worse teams and lost and there's been a lot of teams who have played better teams and struggled so uh or or dominated i should say um, so where Oklahoma goes from here, it's, it's kind of hard to say it, it's, it's like, I was thinking about that Nebraska, I'm sorry, the, uh, the Texas and Alabama game. I was thinking about that earlier today. Thanks a lot, guys. Now we don't know anything about Alabama and, and Texas. We thought we knew what Alabama was and we thought we knew what Texas was. Now we don't know. And that's kind of what college football does to you at this stage of the season. You, you go in with preconceived notions you think, you know, Then you see the performances, and you're like, "Well, damn! Now I got to start all over. I don't, I don't know who's going to win this game. I don't know who to, who to bet on the favorites or anything like that." So, right?
2: Yeah. If you're, I guess if you're a glass half full kind of person, here would be where things can kind of change. Um, The offense has been incredibly vanilla, right? And vanilla should just blow Kent State off the football. It should. Um, It's no excuse for that performance, but if. Jeff Levy opens up that playbook a little bit more. I asked him this week kind of about the adjustment process. And essentially the gist of it was, how do you make sure you don't have to wait until halftime and basically kill 30 minutes of crap, which was what that offense was, before he can make adjustments? And he said he was stubborn. That's on him. He needs to throw the ball more. He just wanted to establish the run. So if I open up the playbook, that helps him kind of find his rhythm. And this team becomes a... Jeff Levy wants to run the ball, but they're going to pass to run the ball, and they establish the run in the second half and wear teams down, then maybe you can see where that gets a little bit better. I think the other side of that, too, though, is that the defense, as good as it's been, everything that Hoove said earlier, they've done nothing as far as, like, this is the Brent Venables, uber-aggressive, dial-up-the-blitz, we're going to send stuff from different spots. Like, this has been straight up, we're going to rush the defensive line occasionally we'll bring a linebacker. We're going to drop this, the secondary back in zone and you're going to have to go up and down the field on us. And that's what the Brett Venables defense has been through two weeks. We know that's not what his defense is. So that'll be something to watch. If Oklahoma starts blitzing a lot against Nebraska, if they open up and start throwing the ball all around the yard, then maybe you can say, okay, two new systems trying to keep it very simple. All that stuff. Everyone knew what was coming at them. And now, as they kind of settle into what they've been working on all spring and all uh, and all fall camp, maybe it looks like it gets a lot better. They get to where visually they're past that eye test of looking like a top five team.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot to be proven, obviously, and uh, they'll they'll get that chance very soon. Um, schedule picks up a lot here um, in the next really the next four weeks. I mean, I don't know what Nebraska or TCU really are. Um, but they're both games on the road against, you know, semi-quality at least teams. Kansas State coming in. We've talked about that before. Then you got the Texas game. So next four weeks we're gonna learn a lot. Oklahoma Oklahoma's six and oh, I think everybody's gonna this team's they've figured something out. I mean, you're not gonna limp your way to six and zero. Um there's they're gonna have to do things better to get to that point. So we'll see how that shakes out. Like Ryan mentioned earlier, Wanya Morris is back um this week. Um Couple of guys talked about how important that's gonna be. Anton Harrison, I know, talked about it. Dylan Gabriel talked about it yesterday. Um, you know, quick to to acknowledge that Tyler Guyton, you know, they, they chose the words carefully, not to say that Tyler Guyton didn't do a fine job, but they're excited to get Wanye back. He was a starter for a reason, um, on that, you know, initial depth chart. So they get him back this week. And then Brent Medals said that he is hopeful that Key Lawrence will be a go and that Robert Conja will be a go, which would just give you another option. Uh, on that offensive line to kind of play with if things aren't going well, um, I guess is a, the best way to put that. Obviously, Key Lawrence is the bigger one there. So I guess what are some thoughts on on what getting Wanye back will do? And then how important is it that they get Key Lawrence back, I guess? Because, I mean, there's an argument for Key Lawrence is one of the best defensive players on the team. So, I mean, getting him back sooner rather than later seems pretty important to me.
1: Yeah, I'll start with Key, obviously, having him – Having him back in the secondary is going to be big for this offense to defend this Nebraska offense that averages 492 yards a game. Uh, Nebraska's point wise, I think they're middle of the nation, somewhere in the fifties scoring. So not they're not terribly dynamic. They get they've got five turnovers, uh, giveaways, I should say. So it's a situation where they have a dynamic offense. They have some playmakers. They have a running back and receiver that can really make good plays. But in terms of just Come out and slay you! Uh, they're not that kind of offense, um, and, but still, at this stage of the season, you've got to have your best players on the field against a team like Nebraska. Against a, a um, you know an opponent where there's going to be 90,000 really loud fans, you want to have your best players, your most experienced players. Key Lawrence, remember from Tennessee, played at Tennessee, so yeah. Uh, He's a guy that's got to – he's going to be very important to this uh, defensive scheme. He understands what's going on. He understands the blitz schemes, the protections, the packages, uh, understands what's going on up front, understands what's going on in the back. So uh, he's huge. He's huge. Uh, I thought Oklahoma did a pretty good job last week without him against an up-tempo, high-octane, throw-the-football-all-over-the-place kind of offense in Kent State they did a good job without him. The guys rolled in there. They rolled different players at different positions. At one point, they would have six, and then they would pull two off and bring in two linebackers. Um, A lot of options for Ted Roof, and the guys seemed to understand what was going on, but I think part of all that movement and shuffling and changes might have been part of the fact that Key Lawrence wasn't there, so they had to try some other things.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of talk this week about the Billy Bowman force fumble, right? Uh, Brent Venables called that the play of the game on Tuesday for the defense. On Monday, Ted Roof said that was a huge momentum play. Well, that exact kind of play is what we became accustomed to almost every week like clockwork last year, the back half of the year, once Key Lawrence was tossed in at corner, right? So you bring another one of those guys back that if you've got both of your safeties, this is what we talked about, that you're trading in the known quantity of DeLarian Turner-Yell and Pat Fields, who were fine, right? They were always there, and that's probably the best thing you could say about them. For guys that Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence, they're probably at some point this year going to look really stupid because one of those guys took a gamble and gave up a big play. But the flip sides, you've got Billy Bowman who's breaking up passes in week one. You've got Billy Bowman forcing a fumble in week two, and the Key Lawrence turnover machine that we saw last year. So it it just raises the ceiling of that big play on top of exactly like who've said. If you're going to throw those six DB packages in you just want to have all your DBs available right so uh it'll be interesting especially because like you mentioned who it's not like this is an elite offense or anything that Oklahoma's playing but you saw last year if Casey Thompson has massive windows he can throw into those windows just fine you saw that in the first half against uh NOU Texas and so if you've got uh you know defensive backs back there that aren't doing their job in the zone and, and letting those windows develop. Casey Thompson shown he can pick you apart a little bit. So it, it's not like Casey Thompson's a guy I haven't seen him throughout his career be a guy that, like, he can beat you on his own, like that kind of level of quarterback. But he's happy to take what's there and, and slice and yeah. dice. you if there's gaping holes. So have your starters there to prevent those.
0: What about Robert Conjol? Is it, is it, is it, is it saying too much to say that, if Robert Conjol plays a lot of snaps in this game, then that would be a bad thing. Cause that means something went wrong essentially on that offensive line, or if he gets in there, that something went wrong. Um, Cause obviously he wasn't named a starter, but he's a guy who's played a lot of football for OU. He always seems to find his way uh, into playing time. Um, obviously if he doesn't play at all this week and he's healthy, obviously assuming he's healthy, if he doesn't play at all. I would think that's a good thing. So I, I would think the five out there did their job. Andrew Rame did his job at center. Is that kind of the way you guys see that? Like Robert Conjol, it's nice to have that safety net, but you really don't want to need him because if you do that, that probably is a bad indicator of how things are going.
1: Yeah. he's One word comes to mind when I think of and That's steady. He comes in and steadies yeah. the offense. His play is always steady. Uh, he's He knows what's going on, and that's the main thing on offensive line. You can – you can wish in one hand for a uh, big, huge, dominating forces up front offensive line, but if they don't know what's going on, the, it's it's a disaster. It, you can have, on the other hand, um, guys who have average ability, but if they understand the scheme, they understand the protections, they understand the defense, and they understand what's going on, you're in a lot better shape. So Conjol's one of those guys. He fits into that latter category. Maybe he doesn't have first-round ability, obviously, uh, but he's got a lot of understanding of what's going on. He's a steadying force for sure.
2: Yeah, and he's also just a, hey, you've seen him plug in for Tower already this year right at left guard. So that helps there. We know he can play center for this team. So even if you don't want to put anything bad into the ETH or anything like that, but when you're going on the road like that in that kind of environment, you want to make sure that if something happens, if someone's cramping and has to miss a drive, especially early on when the crowd is in that game, put an experienced guy in there. He played fine in Bedlam last year, right? Weathered that storm in a just bonkers environment. Okay, now there's going to be about 25,000 more people in that stadium. And this is like the last stand for uh, Nebraska football in 2022. So the team may or may not be up for it, but the fans will be. And you want someone to kind of be there that can be, just like who said, that steadying presence if you need him. So if he's used in that scenario, then okay, that's fine. You're glad you have him there, but yeah, he, the five that starts on the field of the five that you want to see play deep into the third and fourth
0: quarter. Absolutely, going to be interesting to see how that shakes out and uh, how if, if those guys are all healthy, you know how that how that looks, rotations, and if he if he gets in there, if he sees the field. So we'll talk about this game more. We're gonna take a timeout. We'll come back and we'll break this down. Oklahoma, Nebraska, what we're expecting. From the environment, what we expect to see the game, what are there going to be the keys for Oklahoma to get out of there with a win and be 3-0. We're going to break it all down next on the All Sooners podcast.
1: Sooners fans, if you're looking to head to Lincoln this weekend, Ticket IQ and All Sooners have partnered up to get you the best deals on tickets. This week's Ticket IQ Seat of the Week is Section 1, Row 30 at Memorial Stadium. You get two field-level sideline tickets with great views for 263 bucks each. Tickets in general start at $180 for Saturday's game, but we're offering you an additional $10 off with promo code Sooners. Just head to the Ticket IQ app to apply this promo and start browsing for one of this year's best games.
0: On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two, let's break it down. Oklahoma, Nebraska on Saturday. First time on the road uh, for us in 2022. And, I mean, we, we have kind of talked about it throughout the week, but... First time on the road in this kind of capacity for a lot of these guys. I mean, Dan Gabriel's never played in a, in a game like this, and that's the case for a lot of these guys. So this is going to be a big-time thing. So before we even talk about any of the X's and O's, just what are some expectations from you guys on what we think the environment is going to be like, and how do we think these these guys are going to handle it? Because, you know, like Brett Venables touted a lot in the offseason, most of these guys have never taken a snap at OU before. A lot of them came from somewhere smaller. Um, just think rattling off, you know, McCabe Matoyer from Cal Gabriel's at UCF, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot more, you know, examples that Daniel Parker was at Missouri, but he said that, you know, the best atmosphere he played at was in, was these home games so far. Now he might've just been lip service there, but, um, so, I mean, just, it's going to be a zoo. I think we all expect that. So what are some thoughts on what it will be like? Who have you been there before? Um, covered a game there, and uh, how do we think the guys are going to handle it? Because it's that's that's a big question mark. Is just simply put, how do they translate on the road? That's going to be my one big thing for uh,
1: for Friday on the website is uh, how do they handle the road pressure, uh, their first real road mm-hmm. environment. Josh, when you say we're going to be on the road, our first road game, you're not talking about the team. You're not talking about the Sooners. You're talking about all Sooners. Yeah, The crew, the trio of us, the three of us are going on the road for the first time this year. So we're going to be in Memorial Stadium bringing you coverage from the field, from the press box, from the post game press conference, all that stuff. So don't miss our postgame coverage. We're actually going to be in Lincoln. Got the parking passes today via <laughs> uh, uh, UPS. Got the credentials confirmed yesterday. Got the hotel confirmed yesterday. We're going to have boots on the ground, as you say. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big wonder. It's a big mystery, Josh, and that is uh, how guys are going to react to that environment. I think the way we understand it, okay, we're not in the locker room, but we sure hear a lot of reports about Dylan Gabriel being cool, calm, and collected. Everybody around him says that. So I don't think it's going to be a real big problem. He's not going to be flustered, I don't think. By the crowd, things change though. When you step into a new environment for the first time, all that stuff goes out the window. It can change. So I look for Oklahoma to struggle a little bit in terms of their communication. You know, they did the pipe the noise in at practice this week. Uh, they didn't wow. do that the first two weeks. So uh, they, you know, it was some weird noise. They said they were playing some Super Bowl uh, from the, I guess, the Rams Patriots Super Bowl from a few years ago. They're playing some background noise, and uh, players were getting annoyed by the loop. They kept playing the same sounds over and over again. Yeah, uh, maybe that would be awful. That sounds awful. That sounds awful. It's, maybe it's part of the distraction process to get guys to focus in and not worry about that loop. If you're hearing that loop, that means you're listening to the crowd noise and you're not doing what you should be doing. You're not looking at the coach, you're not listening to the players, whatever it is. So there's going to be some bumps in the road in their experience this week.
2: Yeah, especially just because we had talked about so Dylan Gabriel. The top three crowds he's played in front of right, are, in in terms of attendance, OU UTEP and OU Kent State and OU Spring Game. Those are the three. Those are the three clouds. Not a <laughs> single one of those crowds has been making a bit of noise when he's been on the field, right? So um, he, he talked about – Dylan Gabriel this week was asked uh, – I think that uh, we did a good job as a group finding every different way we could ask about the noise to see him uh, try to navigate through that, I guess. But he basically said that – He focuses on his preparation so that everything becomes second nature and that he thinks that maybe if he was like a freshman, this would have affected him, but he feels prepared. That's great that he feels that way. He's never experienced this. So I don't think Dylan Gabriel knows. I don't think he can tell us for 100%, right? But uh, he did kind of talk about, I was asking him, hey, with the tempo, does that make it any easier, harder, anything like that? And, And he basically, what he said was, if they have a big chunk play, it'll actually make things easier because... When he's running down the, the field, he's running right behind the offensive line, and that's a time that he can communicate with those guys. We've all been in stadiums, right? So what happens when the road team hits a big chunk play? Everyone shuts up. So that'll yep. be the thing early on. If, if Oklahoma, I think, can find those chunk plays early, it's a big if, but if they can just get the ball to Marvin Mims, frankly, I think that'll help settle everyone because we've seen this offense is very momentum-based, right? Things are going well to start a UTEP, three drives, 21 points. Things are going bad in the second quarter of UTEP, and then it takes uh, a whole 10 minutes of game time to regroup. Same thing, awful start until the two-minute drill against Kent State, and then they pour it on in the third quarter. So I think a lot of that, I know everyone says you go on the road, score early, all that stuff. I think for this team it's even more. For what we've seen in this offense, they need to have that success early for the communication, to settle in, to take the crowd out of it. Because it's a team that we've seen – a. Not a bunch, but a handful of false start procedural penalties already at home when when noise isn't happening.
0: Yeah, Dylan Gabriel, uh, it, it was it was funny because yeah, he was asked about playing in rivalry games, you know, and um, he talked about yeah, he's like they're different intensity stuff like that, and so he was asked like who is UCF's rival exactly, and he said USF, South Florida, the War on I four, and it was just kind of there was like this weird, almost awkwardness of like, yeah, man, that's nothing compared to what this <laughs> is going to be like. And he kind of knew that everybody kind of knew that, but we kind of just let it, let it be. And um, I mean, yeah, like Ryan said, he's, he's never been to anything like this and his personality would seem to be one that's going to handle it well, but I mean, we don't know. We're not No Shadamas. I mean, he's never, never done it before. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but it's uh should be, should be fun. Should be wild. And as Brent Venables talked about, the Raska fans are, maybe the most loyal in the sport. I mean, we talk about what they produce on an atmosphere level for what is been just a really not a good product for a while now. Um, they continue to bring it and they continue to uh, do what they can. They put a lot of close games. We talked about that before. They do have a habit of hanging around. They don't win a lot, but they do have a habit of hanging around. They don't really get blown out very often. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Before we get into like keys to the game and stuff, what do we think about Brett Venables talking about? Go ahead, Ryan.
2: Last thing in the atmosphere, too. Uh, obviously, people have talked a lot about Scott Frost is fired, new momentum, all that stuff. Like Rascals is also bringing back a couple of national champions. They're not just honoring one national championship team. They're honoring two national championship teams this uh-huh. weekend. Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as the games that they have on the schedule at home, this is the last one that's already pre-sold out, right? So... Uh, personally, I think a lot of why Trev Alberts pulled the trigger is to make sure that the rest of them get sold out because the streak is all Nebraska football has right now, the sellout streak. Uh, So again, OU Nebraska is always going to bring it right as far as the atmosphere goes, but it it sounds like the Cornhuskers are are trying to, as much as Joe Casiglione did this last year, right, of pouring all this extra history to make that weekend special in Norman, Nebraska's holding serve and For like product of the team, it should just be absolutely bonkers. I expect it to be uh, more, atmosphere-wise, akin to the earlier 2000s where this thing had been closer to being played every year than as opposed to maybe even 05, 09, stuff like that.
1: Venables described it on his uh, coach's show on Monday night as they welcome you, they pat you on the back, they tell you how great you are, they smile at you, and then when the game starts, they're just – it's a snake pit, you know, they're booing and they're right on top of you. And it's it's, just, you know, make you feel good. Hey, welcome in. We're glad you're here. Now we're going to stab you in the back kind of feeling. Um, the, the thing that I would worry about if I were the Oklahoma coaching staff and try to get the players to focus on is that, yes, the crowd noise is going to be something maybe a little cranked up this week. Number one, it's Oklahoma. Um, Misty's is going to be buzzing on Friday night. You know, the the prime rib steakhouse joint uh, that Switzer goes to. Hopefully, Switzer gets to go this year. Uh, The place is going to – the town itself is going to be buzzing. Oklahoma's coming to town. So, everybody's going to be out of their minds. The other thing is they just fired their coach. They just fired their coach. They just elevated an assistant coach to interim coach. The crowd is going to say, guys, we've got 10 straight losses – of games that were decided by one possession or less, one score or less. Let's see if we can get them over the top. Let's see if we can get them over the hump and maybe we can influence this game. That's what 85, 90,000 Nebraska fans are going to be invested in doing this week. So as throaty as they are, as loud and obnoxious as they can be during the game, I think they're going to crank it up this week. That's going to be something for the staff to, uh, to keep an eye on.
0: What about Brent Venables talking about those those 2000s games uh yesterday's press conference? You know, I mean, he has he has the unique ability, obviously, to to talk to his team and to try and articulate what this rivalry was like cuz he was he was, you know, on the sidelines for some of the biggest ones, at least in the, you know, modern recent history. Um some of the 2000 game, the 1 versus 2 in Norman and stuff like that. He got got emotional talking about it a little bit. Um you know, it's what you could tell that, and who what said this on the rap yesterday, but you could tell the rivalry kind of means something to him. And coaching, being the head coach in this game is is significant for him. So I, I don't know if that helps. I don't know what that translates to on Saturday, but you're certainly on, on a team that's got a lot of new players and the coaches that are a lot of new coaches and all that stuff. You have a head coach that knows what he's walking into. He knows what this rivalry is like. And I think that can only help you. I mean, you you would think at least. I was
1: really surprised. I was taken aback by his um, pauses yesterday. Uh, one, yeah. you start talking about the 2005 game. Brent's mother died the Wednesday before that game, so uh, you expect that. You expect you know pause and voice breaks and has to compose himself. Totally expected. The one that caught me by surprise was when he was talking about regrets in 2000, about how he he is ashamed today because he didn't celebrate the victory over number one ranked Nebraska. He didn't soak it in the way he phrased it. He didn't acknowledge the moment. Yeah, he was laser focused on getting some sleep so he could get up at 4 a.m. and start on start game planning on K State the next day. That was something that you know as an, as you get older, you have kids, your kids grow up, you know, your relationships that you form. I think he's recognized. And I think for a, for a head football coach at a place like Oklahoma to pull back the curtain and reveal themselves as vulnerable like that, I have regrets. I'm ashamed of myself, that kind of thing. Guys, that, that's, I don't know, speaks to the fan base speaks. To, I think it speaks to the media, the cynics that, that are, that were assembled in the crowd yesterday. We all looked up like, what's he doing? <laughs> like yeah. what? What is going on with Brent? Oh my gosh. He's, he's about to cry. You know, we were shocked. And so imagine yeah. now if you're a player and you're invested in what he's saying and you're in the red room and he's telling you something about his past or this or that, and he starts that stuff, the waterworks start flowing imagine how hard you're going to play and how hard you're going to practice and prepare that day, whatever it is. So uh, he's got something cooking because, and and I think that moment, as innocent as it was, I think that moment really reveals something about him that uh, we don't get to see out of a lot of coaches. Well, and that's the first time
2: we've gotten to see that out front, right? So there, if you watch the, you know, the OU DNA on, on ESPN plus or, We had saw the videos right after the UTEP win of him being emotional in the locker room, and we had gotten a chance to ask those guys about that. Danny Stutzman was asked after the UTEP game what that means, right, to see a guy like that. And Danny just, like, took a minute, smiled, and he just turned to us, and he's like, I will run through a wall for that man. You know what I mean? Like, it was the stereotypical, but, like, you could tell that, like, in that moment, Danny Stutzman was like, that's my coach, right? And And I think that speaks to... We've talked all offseason long that what does the team buying in and being one unit mean in terms of is that adding a win, a loss? What does that do? We have no idea, but it's the first time we've been able to probably see out front like this is the capability that Brent Venables has, and that is why by the time we talked to guys in February, they were already totally bought in. And so I I think it's just fascinating, and it's just – any coach that takes the Oklahoma job is going to talk about how Oklahoma is a massive job and it has a huge place in college football history and all that stuff. But it's different when it's a guy that's coached in this profession for 30 years, hasn't been a head coach, right? A lot of that by choice of him being content to, to stay a defensive coordinator, but it, it just kind of gives you another window. He said again, after UTEP, like he was touched because the Joe's Joe that Leonard Joe Harris didn't have to hire him. It's Oklahoma. They can hire whoever they want. And so it meant something to him. You saw that. And now the other thing, too, is it's not just Brent Venables. So speaking of that in the locker room, Curtis Lofton, he's on the soul mission. You know what he's going to be talking about? Yeah. Nebraska was a big freaking deal when we played them. Right. Rufus Alexander. Yeah. He's the guy that Brent Venable's specifically named in the press conference when he talked about the 2005 game. He's in that locker room. Right. Ryan Young, the, the head of the soul mission. He's not a former OU guy, K-State guy, but he's another one that anyone asks him, what's this Nebraska thing all about? He's going to be like, bro, the, Nebraska, those were the guys. Those were the dudes, right? Like the, He's got a locker room of, of guys, soul mission on down, that are going to be reverberating back
0: to this team. This game is a big deal. Yeah, I was really struck, too, by the – Brent Venables is a, is a well-documented psychopath, and I mean that in a good way in terms of the time he puts in and the hours he puts in, the preparation each and every game week. That's now. And he's talking about how dysfunctional that he feels like his mindset was then. So think about how insane it must've been for him. Then if uh, he's looking at himself now in 2022 saying that was ridiculous, because by most people's standards, he's ridiculous now. So it it just shows you how, how, how committed he is, how hard he works, how bad he wants it and all that stuff. So it's not, I mean, it's, it's so just painfully obvious why, why players would want to play for him and, and you know, all that. I mean, it's like, the easiest thing to see in the world. So
1: if he was that psycho psycho back then, and I say psycho in a good way as well, if he was that laser focused on being able to communicate uh, his desire to get started on the game plan immediately after the game just ended, uh, I can tell you this, I'll just give you a little insight back in from, I'd say 2004 to 2011. Um, showing up every Tuesday night after practice, kind of like we do now, only Venables was the defensive coordinator. Brent would come into the interview room and do interviews, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then after the interviews were over, he would sit there and talk to us, continue to tell us stories or ask us questions or, or engage us in conversation. Sometimes these went for like an hour, you guys. So imagine how busy he is, how focused he is. He's got, you know, he's got Wednesday night film to, or Tuesday night film to break down. He's got a Wednesday night practice to to lay out for the next morning. He's sitting there talking to us for an hour. So guys, he was what what was it? 20 minutes late to his own press conference yesterday. Yeah. yeah. What was he doing? Why was he late? Well, he was obviously he was having a coaches meeting and he was telling them the, about the importance of Nebraska and and breaking down film and being on time and all this other stuff and he was late to his own press conference. That's the first time in all the years I've covered OU football, that that has happened. So Ryan, going break in, completely break in, Ryan, in-
0: with the big news. Uh this is fun.
2: Love that. Welcome to the joys of live podcasting. It's twelve forty-two p.m. on Wednesday. This tweet was sent out by ESPN's Pete Thamel at twelve thirty-eight. So four oh, minutes welcome. ago. Sources: The SEC has directed Georgia and Tennessee to not play their home and home non-conference series against Oklahoma. OU obviously hosting Georgia in 2023, their oh return trip is slated yeah. for 2031. Uh OU and Tennessee were supposed to play in the 2020 season. That game got canceled and booted down the line. Uh OU and Tennessee still have one on the slate in 2024. Why does that matter? Oklahoma and Texas are supposed to enter the SEC in 2025. John, Josh, why would Oklahoma not need to play Georgia in 2023 and Tennessee in 2024 if those are supposed to be non-conference
0: games? Yeah, I mean it's it sure implies that you know this move could happen next year, right? I mean that's the obvious because Oklahoma I mean, it's basically telling – especially the, ne- the next year one is the biggest one to me because it, it basically is telling Oklahoma and Georgia, hey, it's September of 22. I'm giving you a full year. We're trying to make this happen. You're going to want to find another opponent. So that's huge.
1: Yeah, give them a full year's notice. That's good. That's, uh, that's what a big league does. That's what a big league, league does is uh, give their uh, teams plenty of notice. To, uh, you know, make plans. Um, yeah, this is uh, looks like it's coming down, and I believe we said a long time ago, guys, I believe we said long shot out of this at 23, 24, 25. The long shot is 25. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, the slightly longer shot is probably 23. Uh, I, I would almost guarantee it's going to happen in 24. Well, now I look ahead at at what Pete Pete has plugged in. Pete's a hell of a reporter. Uh, looks like 23, is when uh, this thing's going to happen. That is uh, approximately 12 months from now. Holy crap.
2: Maybe uh, OU and Georgia to pick up the phone to poor NC State. Uh, I feel awful for the NC State fans, because do you know who they had on their schedule originally for next year? No. BYU and Cincinnati. Oh, perfect. And both of those teams have had to bargain out of that game because they're entering the Big 12, which means the NC State could end up with like two FCS teams on their schedule purely because they're scrambling to put a schedule together. Man, Well, I don't know if they're going to to pick up the phone and play OU and Georgia, but uh, maybe come on over to Norman NC State. That'd be a fun one because you could do 2023 in Norman, 2024 uh, at NC State. And for Oklahoma, at least that fills the Georgia and Tennessee hole.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's huge news that just comes down, and uh, boy, I mean, I'll say this, too. I mean, I, I've already seen some fans with some disappointment. Trust me, honestly, I mean, I would love to see Georgia Norman. That was going to be a, a wild one next year, but if it means the SEC is next year, then we're going to get big games in Norman, so that would be the solace there. I mean, that that's a bummer, but it'll get replaced. Yeah, it'll, it'll be replaced.
1: Texas plays at, at uh, Alabama next year, too, so... I uh, don't see anything. Uh, don't see anything on this uh, tweet about that, but sounds like that one's going to need to be rescheduled as well. Yeah, maybe, uh, just, maybe just Oklahoma's joining in twenty three. Texas will come along in twenty five.
2: <laughs> well, Texas is worried about how many people can watch them lose football
0: games, as we saw by their Twitter account yesterday. <laughs> right. So that that's obviously massive, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll try and react to that more <laughs> as we go. There's a bombshell during the pod. Nothing new there. That's uh, about 50% of all pods have bombshells during them. It hey, it's like. not Baker news this time. It's not huge Baker news. So we'll, we'll take a break here in just a second. Um, is there any final things on the Nebraska game? Um, keys or expectations for Saturday we want to get through before? We yeah, I'll, I'll throw up. something
1: out real quick. Um, Nebraska's offense, we talked about it. Dynamic. Anthony Grant's a good running back. He's got five touchdowns in three games. Their, their offense isn't the problem. In Lincoln. The problem is the defense. Those guys, I don't think they award black shirts anymore. And if they don't, that's good. If they do, they need to stop because this is defense that ranks 115th in the country through two, three games against the run, 115th against the run, 124th in total defense, and 98th in scoring defense. Uh, I think we've identified the problem in Lincoln. And <laughs> part of it was coaching. Yes, um, they've gone through uh, more than a decade now of mediocre coaching they fire a coach and they bring in a new guy and the new guy's worse than the guy that they fired. That's a long-standing tradition now at, at Nebraska. So um, from Solich to, to Joe Callahan and Bo yeah. Pelini and, and Mike Riley. Uh, holy cow. They've hired some coaches who, and here's the problem, guys. I thought about this. Oklahoma keeps having success because they keep hiring assistant coaches who've never been head coaches. Nebraska keeps hiring guys who have been head coaches and have been wildly successful somewhere else. And they're all terrible. So uh, I don't know something to think about, Uh, fix the head coach and then start working on the defense. I think it's worth noting too, that just saying that Nebraska is
2: 124th in total defense doesn't tell the whole story. Right. Uh, Because, like, for instance, if after a small sample, if after week one you had judged Oregon's defense off of what they did against Georgia, they were in the bottom twenty in total defense as well. And you're like, Okay, well, you played Georgia, they play a week two game against Eastern Washington, and it balances out. Nebraska's played three games, so it's an even smaller sample for them, and those three games happen to be the high flying, rip roaring, just run and shoot. Oh, it's Northwestern. Sorry, it was it was the Northwestern Wildcats across the pond. Uh, It was the great institution, uh, Stuart Mandel's favorite North Dakota school in North Dakota, and then a Georgia Southern team that went in there and set a Memorial Stadium record for total offense from an opponent. Northwestern, North Dakota, Georgia Southern, and they're the 124th total defense in all the land.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That pretty much tells you all you need to know. Um, Oklahoma should have success. I mean, but I mean the, the wild card and the unpredictability of the game, obviously, we talked about it already. It lies in the fact that it's an interim coach, and it, re- and it lies in the fact that it is a rivalry. It's going to be uh, a scene there, and it, that creates some some levels to it that you just you can't predict, and that, that's what's cool. going to make Saturday fun. And, you know, for me, obviously, um, Casey Thompson has, has shown that is he uh, you know, a top-level college quarterback? No. Is he a future NFL? No. But he's good enough, and he can move enough to give you problems. And he did for a long while last year in the shootout. We, we were there at the Cotton Bowl. So um, he's good enough, and he's slippery enough, and he's athletic enough that he can uh, pose a challenge. So if Nebraska can move the ball and score some points, it's going to be good news for them, obviously. So we'll see how that looks. I'm excited. Um, Oklahoma should roll, but – that's the beauty of college football. That's the beauty of rivalries. You kind of you don't know. You don't you don't ever know. So going to be fun, and we'll have our official game picks on allsouners on Friday with our final score predictions and all that good stuff. Um, so keep an eye out for that as we lock them in. Who you had Nebraska winning this game before the season started? So I expect to see Nebraska on your game pick on Friday.
1: Uh, I am reserving the right to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We'll see. you got a couple more days to mull it over. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what that looks like on uh, on Friday with our game picks. All right, we're going to take a timeout here. We'll come back. We I said we talked about it last week on the show that we were going to learn a lot about the Big 12 last weekend. And I think we did. We learned a lot about a, a few teams. We'll talk about what we uh, now know about the Big 12 going into this weekend. And uh, we'll start about week one of the NFL a little bit. Baker, first game in Carolina. Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts start their seasons as well as obviously a slew other guys. We'll break it all down and react to it next on the all Centers Podcast. All
1: right. You guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement, $25 a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge, and get this. If your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pro's 405-639-9991 or... Check out their website, tradeprosokc.com.
0: Final seven of the all Sooners Podcast, episode 142 on this Wednesday, September 14th. Send you on your merry way here into uh, week three of the college football season. Who stepped out? He's jumping on that bombshell news. So Ryan and I will finish up the show Just insane, man. This has happened a lot.
2: This is back-to-back. Hey, everyone. (laughs) There's a reason that all this major college football news breaks in the offseason, right? We're trying to – we're just innocently over here, excited about a trip to Lincoln, rivalry renewed, first time since 2009. We've now had, on a random Friday, the college football playoff expanding (laughs) to
0: 12 teams. Where is this stuff in the offseason?
2: And then just a Wednesday, like, Hey, by the way, uh it sounds like that this has you know been in the works for maybe a little bit and we're just gonna leak it today. what What is going on in college football?
0: Yeah, where is this stuff on July 3rd? Yes. or something when we're yeah we're kind of scrounging for something to talk about something to write about just pretty much all recruiting news. We could use this kind of stuff then so maybe let's let's shift our our mindset moving forward, uh, college football and uh, commissioners around the sport. But yeah, bombshell news. Read more badnews. all By the time this uh, show gets posted, obviously, who will have the story up? So uh, wild, wild stuff. Georgia not coming to Norman next year. It's going to be. I mean, with one year's notice, it pretty much has to be an FCS opponent, you would think, um, unless something else happens. Like you were saying, Ryan. I mean, there's some some finagling, some moving around of schedules. So maybe, oh, you will get luck, will lock into somebody. Um, obviously, BYU did have a bunch of non conference games that they had to cancel, right? Uh, because they were an independent, so they had just a obviously just 12 non con games because they're all non con games for them. So, yeah, we can try to scoop up one of them. We'll so see, that,
2: that was a week two battle. Saturday, September 9th is when right. that was slated. So, currently, OU has Arkansas State coming in on September 2nd, and they had two Tulsa on the 16th.
0: So yeah, my yeah. initial thought was actually could we get Bedlam in there, but I looked at OSU schedule and they have uh, Arizona State uh, schedule for the ninth. So yeah. you know that's kind of boxed in. But uh, I don't know. We'll be, be it'll be interesting to see what what Oklahoma does with that open date. I mean that's that's how you get stuck with Western Carolina. Was, yes, uh, this happening before with LSU. Obviously, was a very different circumstance, but. Um, Late A late addition, that's how you get stuck with a game like that. So that would probably be my expectation.
2: see, get – NC State hasn't moved at all. They've got September 2nd is at UConn, and then the next thing they have on the schedule is VMI, September 16th. So for the sake of everything good and holy and trying to put forth a non-conference with intrigue, call NC State.
0: I'd be on board. I mean, they've got a good team this year. And uh, if it's in Norman, cool. If it's in – I think they're in Raleigh. Well, why not?
2: And- and like we said, oh, you'll have to fill a 2024 spot as well. So book that home and home and uh, see if you make it Dang. happen. Let's see. What does NC State have on the books for 2024? We might have just solved all of our college football issues. <laughs> yeah, they've got, well, they've got Western Carolina, Louisiana Tech, and USF. So maybe they well, can. Western uh,
0: Carolina. You don't yeah, need that. bargain out
2: of that Western Carolina game. <laughs> Maybe that'll be part of the negotiations. OU helps pay the Western Carolina buyout so that everyone makes more money.
0: Wild stuff, wild stuff. So yeah, I'll read more about that all sooners and we'll react to it more as we go on. But it's looking more and more like the SEC in 2023 is a thing, So uh, which is nuts. So we'll talk about that more, obviously, as the season goes on and over the next year until, uh, until that becomes official. Um, so let, let's talk about the Big 12, though. While we're still in it, We talked about it last week on the show. Last weekend was massive for the Big 12. Like, every team practically was playing a big game, it seemed like. And it went pretty well uh, for the most part. Texas played Alabama tough. They lost, but they played them tough. I mean, they played them way closer than I think almost anybody thought they could have very easily won that game. Maybe would have if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt. Baylor does lose to BYU on all those kick shenanigans. We talked about that a little bit on the post-game show because that game was still going at (laughs) 1 a.m. or whatever it was. Uh, Oklahoma State took care of Arizona State. So. I guess my question, um, Texas Tech beat Houston also in overtime. Nice win for them. So I guess now that we've had this week to peel back from, because if you asked me before last weekend, I would have definitely said Baylor was the next best team in the Big 12. Um, that's what we picked in the preseason was OU to beat Baylor in the championship game. How do you feel about it now? Is, is it Texas? Is it OSU? Or is it still Baylor? I mean, it's not like Baylor lost to some scrub. I mean, I is a good team. It was in Provo. They could have easily won, had missed field goals late. So I guess state of the Big 12 now in your opinion, after I think what was a pretty illuminating weekend uh, for the conference?
2: Yeah, uh, Chisholm Holland and I on the franchise, we do a Big 12 Power Rankings every Tuesday, basically, and through two weeks, based off what we've seen, um, little disagreement, Chisholm's still a huge believer in Baylor, right? Him and I are both Dave Aranda guys. Um, I was a little concerned with shaping and what we saw as far as accuracy down the field, so for me, what, what I had coming out of this past weekend is I think through two weeks. Oklahoma State's been the most complete team through both games. Um, they also had some first-half struggles early on, but uh, Spencer Sanders kind of worked out of that, and, and they worked through it into the second quarter and third quarter, got off and running. But I think one to keep an eye on K-State. K-State absolutely clobbered. Yeah. It, it, granted, it's a bad we Missouri ball. team, but that's a Missouri team that's better than uh, UTEP or, or Kent State, right? And, and that was a K-State defense that – was absolutely smothering, and it took Missouri, I think it took them like five tries with their ones against the K-State twos to punch in that late uh, score to up it from six points to 12 points for the Tigers. Uh, The offense looks good. Deuce Vaughn looks awesome. So I think that was a big statement too. And then like with Texas, here's the thing. Defensive line looked awesome. We've seen that before, right, that Texas gets up for one game. So like we just need to – I'm reserving the, I need to pull back and be like, okay, show it to me three more times so we now know you, Texas, because if that defense line is going to play like that, that's going
0: to be a mismatch, probably, the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, I'm really excited for K-State to come to Norman uh, next Saturday. Um, that's going to be a night kick. We got that 7 o'clock, which is late. That's going to be a late post-game podcast on that one. But K-State's got Tulane this weekend, so they should be 3-0 and going to that game. Should be in the top 25. They should be in the top 25 already. Um, but if they beat Tulane, they should certainly, I think be right there to get into the top 25. So that should be a ranked matchup primetime under the lights on Fox next Saturday. So that, that one should be a lot of fun. I'm kind of with you on Texas. You know, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but in 2019, they got up and played LSU that Joe Burrow team. That was insane. Really tough. And uh, They almost had them early in the year. Same kind of deal. I think it might've been week two, um, in Austin. And then that team went on to do nothing. So I don't know. They look great against Alabama. They did, and they they look like they could play with just about anybody. But I need to see it more because uh, they've 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 tanked out after tough losses before. Um, so we'll we'll see. They looked kind of okay last year until they lost a heartbreaker to OU and they tanked. So um, gonna be you know reserve judgment there. OSU, I definitely they look pretty good. I I, I would have I was hoping for a little more. Cause I don't think Arizona State is is very good at all. I mean, we'll we'll see. Um, but and then Baylor at BYU. I mean, I'm not totally convinced that Oklahoma State wouldn't also lose in Provo. So I guess for now, I would still have Baylor. But Baylor, OSU, Kansas State, Texas are really. Cl- I mean, it's uh, it's a, a a hodgepodge right now. And, and Texas Tech, give them credit for beating Houston. That's a nice win yeah. for them in overtime. So. Big 12's looking tough, and there's not a lot of gimmies. West Virginia stinks. I was about you
2: know who's not number one? Uh, that's West Virginia. Yes. Neil Brown um, needs, needs a big win. <laughs> he needs a big a win soon. Seat.
0: If Neil Brown to- is still coaching whenever Oklahoma comes there uh, in November, that's a win for him because right now you lose at home to Kansas. If you lose at home to Kansas, the natural question is what games do you win? Where, where are your wins yeah. on the schedule? If you're losing at home to Kansas, that's tough. Tough scene. And shout out Lance Leopold. You know road, guys. Big 12 win. Nice. Do, does Lance Leopold like corn? Important question. I I There's a few. There's a slew of Big 12 coaches that are Kansas for that Nebraska job. Because <laughs> I think it, you throw Kleiman and Matt Campbell in there, too. It'll be a, a test. Slew. It'll be the big test of
2: the SEC and... The Big Ten are about to have way more money than everybody else. So will you leave yeah. a better situation for money? We'll see. Uh, on the K-State game, just real quick, um, two weeks from now, Clemson-Wake Forest is also playing. That's at 11 a.m. on ABC. And then CBS has the 2.30 game, Florida and Tennessee. Those are the only two ranked matchups currently. Okay, Arkansas and a Sorry, that's the night game. Had to scroll down. But if AM loses to Miami this week, that might lose a little bit of shine. OUK State might be one of three ranked games. We'll be interesting to see if uh if they get uh anyone in the form of the big noon set or um yeah. game day to come along. Because like the the eleven a.m. slot on Fox is Michigan Maryland. I don't think big I'm
0: noon I'm surprised won. by that. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised by that. I mean, I guess they just didn't want Oklahoma big noon kickoff two weeks in a row, but Michigan, Maryland is not it. So yeah. I was a little surprised by that um, for big noon kickoff um, for sure. Cause I think a lot of us mentally kind of penciled that in as a very big big new kickoff candidate. So whenever it was a night kick, it was like, Oh, wasn't uh, expecting that. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah.
2: Totally didn't mentally register that that would have been OU on big noon two weeks in a row. So interesting to see though, what uh, what a spotlight game day does. Cause they, they've gone to places where, Hey, even if it's the CBS game, right? The two 30 CBS game, they'll take game day there. But uh, any, if any dumb stuff happens, like it could be one, it should be one of three ranked matchups if AM loses to Miami this week.
0: Yeah. I mean, your other options, I mean, Florida, Tennessee is CBS. So I mean, you're, you're looking at likely the, the games that ESPN has that weekend are not the best. So, yeah. uh, yeah, we'll see. Who knows? We could, could look into it. There's certainly some candidates later down the road that they're probably considering to Baylor Bedlam. but who knows if your hand is forced, your hand is forced. So, Uh, that'll be fun to watch. Um, big 12 slate this weekend is not as hefty. Um, not a lot of huge games. Big 12 should be pretty, uh, successful this weekend. I would think before conference play starts next Saturday. Um, flip over to NFL on the way out here. NFL week one is in the books. Um, if you want to recap of how all you guys did, it's there for you. That's every single week. We have that soon as NFL, uh, on Monday mornings, recapping how everybody did, um, it went so, so for you guys in general, Kyler and the Cardinals got blown out. It wasn't really Kyler's fault. Um, uh, he didn't play poorly. He didn't play great. He did throw a touchdown to Marquise Brown, but their defense couldn't stop anything. I mean, Mahomes went absolutely nuts. Uh, Jalen Hurts played pretty well on a big Eagles win. Obviously a lot of the attention was on Baker against the Browns and first half was not so good. Second half was a lot better. They lose on a heartbreaking, I think it was a 58 yard field goal for the Browns rookie kicker to beat the Panthers at the buzzer, which is a heartbreaker for Baker, but um, not a bad start for him. What's well, just not a very good Panthers team. We talked about that when he got traded there. It's going to be really hard to win because it's just, there's not that good. They just don't have that good of a yeah. roster. So we'll see how that shakes out. But what are some of uh, the big takeaways from week one in the NFL for, uh, for the OU guys?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I think a lot of the takeaways are, it, it, it's not necessarily their fault, but like.
0: Oh, OU News, they're playing SMU. Huh? They just built it in with SMU. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. That came well, out of it's, nowhere. It's a home and home with SMU too. In 2027 though, the return trip is not till 2027. So there's still a 2024 game. to. <laughs> Tanner Mordecai still had eligibility.
2: <laughs> what a, what a time. Is that a, uh, is that an SEC big 12 battle by that point?
0: <laughs> 2027 might be big 12 SEC challenge.
2: It's coming hot and heavy today. So uh, that'll be fun, I guess. Uh, Oklahoma stays recruiting in the DFW area, despite the fact that uh, they won't be playing at TCU every other year. So it puts SMU on the schedule. That should be fun, uh, it, especially considering, like we said, I mean, we were sitting there going, uh oh, is it the, are, are you getting uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff coming in, right? Someone like that. Uh, so at least SMU is uh, kind of building something there. That'll be interesting. Man, what a what a uh, what a time Whoa, for a wild scheduling. afternoon. What a time for scheduling news today.
0: Wow, this is some live podcasting at its finest. So yeah, Oklahoma versus SMU will replace the Georgia game next year, and then Oklahoma returns the, the favor and goes to Dallas in September of 2027. You know that the SMU
2: AD is <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You are so screwed. You're coming, big boys. It doesn't have to be in 2024, but you are coming,
0: man. Okay, well, you have any final thoughts? I kind of cut you off there in NFL thoughts. You want to wrap up your NFL thoughts? Uh, get out of here. This the end of this show has been completely <laughs> hijacked by scheduling news. My goodness,
2: we have just fired a cannon. And by the way. Real quick. Last thing on the scheduling thing. So the sec announced the future schedule adjustments The the sec announced it, they announced it in 2023 and 2024 and they put OU on the graphic, which again, it's Georgia, Tennessee and OU. And these are schedule adjustments for 2023 and 2024. It's just weird. You know what I mean? One of those things of just, yeah. Could could this be nothing? Sure. But we've we've seen the Big Twelve as they've brought in the new four teams. They're pimping those guys out on social media like it's nobody's business. They don't care about lawyers, contracts, buyouts, all that stuff. They've been very upfront that that crap's getting paid and those guys are coming in next year. Right? Your mark is visiting those campuses. This is like the first time since the announcement that uh, the Oklahoma and Texas are joining the SEC it's the first time I remember seeing just Oklahoma on SEC official graphics and things like that since that announcement. So it was just weird. Anyway, uh, uh sinks, no clock management.
0: This, yeah. I was going to just real quick. Cause we got it. We just got a release from, from OU. I was going to just, this is from Joe C. We recognize the original excitement hosting Georgia next season, travel in Knoxville in 2024. And the short term disappointment this news may bring, but the circumstances obviously dictate a change to our schedule. The good news is that future SEC schedules provide a reasonable rotation whereby Georgia and Tennessee will come to Gaylord family, Oklahoma World Stadium. We will also play on those great campuses. We're grateful to fill the Georgia scheduling gap with the series against SMU, a program that has won 25 games over the last three seasons. Special thanks to SMU AD, Rick Hart for his cooperation during this shift in scheduling. So, boom, Oklahoma was all over this. Obviously not a blindside to them at all. Um, what a wild uh, afternoon but there you go okay we can we can close out with nfl now so we're trying to trudge through wild wild stuff one more hole in the schedule
2: in 2024 so OU, wait until the offseason to at least announce that being filled as we said earlier uh yeah baker there was also class management issues a bad call defensively that just sucked all around for him i thought the biggest just disappointment uh this week was cd lamb did not look ready to be a wide receiver one and i know that I know that Dallas had way more problems, way more problems. The offensive line, obviously, Dak getting hurt. But uh, CeeDee Lamb, in just in, in game one, one game doesn't make a season, anything like that. It just wasn't good. wasn't good uh, for a guy that uh, has a lot of expectation on him. So uh, we'll see uh, if CeeDee can kind of bounce back with what it looks like to be Cooper Rush being the guy in Dallas for at least a couple of weeks while Dak is on the mend.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. CD was underwhelming, but that whole Dallas offense really was just gross. Um, honestly, one of the big winners of the week uh, for Oklahoma NFL guys was Sterling Shepard to me. Um, you know, we only had a couple catches, but he had that one sixty-five yard touchdown just bomb. And the Giants pulled off that big upset win. You know, sometimes I feel like Sterling gets a little bit forgotten, not By OU fans loving him because he's definitely a fan favorite and fans really have always really liked Sterling Shepard but the guy has been a pretty good NFL receiver for a while now and he's back healthy he's had some problems staying on the field but he's back healthy he looked good had that big long touchdown good for him you know I was one of those kind of things he had a nice weekend um and as far as you know like I said the Baker the Panthers just aren't very good and I I feel I, I worry that Cause I, I do think Baker is a is a quality NFL quarterback, and you can win with him if if you have enough around him. But I worry that this year is going to go really poorly through no fault of his own because the roster stinks, and then he's going to have a hard time getting another shot. Um, that would be the concern there. And uh, yeah, Cardinals, my gosh, that was that was bad. Um, yeah. I think Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, he just he ain't
2: the, he ain't it. He ain't it.
0: Well, Stop good thing Tyler.
2: Good thing they didn't just extend him and the GM in the off season or anything like that. Gosh. Cliff, Kime, and Kyler
0: all got their extensions last offseason. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So we'll see how that shakes out. But rough, rough start for the Cardinals. They probably had the biggest loss of anybody in Week 1, just in terms of you're expected to be a contender. You've got the Chiefs coming into your building. And we talk about a chance for a statement win in Week 1, and you lose by 23 points. Big yikes.
2: Now Kyler's got to go and play uh, another pretty good pass rush in the Raiders where... His defense should help him out because the Raiders don't yeah. have an offensive line. But that's that's not a, like, gimme road game by any means. And suddenly
0: you could be in the hole real quick. Also, shout out with the Giants, too. Tony Jefferson, who yes. I don't know if that many people realize is even on the Giants. He went out there and made some plays. Good for him. Still uh, hanging on and extending his career uh, a little further after the Ravens uh, cut him loose. So uh, shout out Tony Jefferson there, latching on with the Giants. So there you have it. That's our show. We apologize. I got a little messy there in the uh, back end of the second segment into the third. That's what happens. You have bombshell news drop right during the recording. you think by now we'd be very prepared for it, <laughs> but you just you can't. You can't be ready. Once it happens and your whole plan for the show just gets thrown out the window, Just along to ride. keep it going. Just along for the ride. It's hard to restore the flow of a show whenever you have it planned, and then it just gets... You're live radio guys, so you probably have a better appreciation for that than than even me. But well, but here's the thing: we get like a commercial break, right? And so we we had our
2: break. We come back. We're ready to move forward, and then it's like, hey, oh, by the way, here's the answer to your scheduling question. Yeah, and release. And I was
0: not ready. The fact that they had an opponent ready to put in there, not ready for that at all. That no. was that was completely out of nowhere. So Oklahoma SMU next year. So the Ponies are coming to Norman next uh, next uh, September so that much that much we know and uh 2027 if you want to look that far ahead you can start to book your uh stay in dallas two trips to dallas that year for for oklahoma uh football so there you have it that's our show um good one we're i'm really excited to get back to uh to to, to get to lincoln this this weekend i mean it's uh gonna be uh, you know some traveling and stuff like that but um, it, it's, it's special to get out and cover these games on the road. Thankfully we get to do it. So looking forward to uh Saturday in Lincoln, we'll have all the coverage on all from Nebraska. We're taking the show on the road. We're going to do the post game show from Memorial stadium up there in the land of the corn excited for it. And, uh, should be a fun game. I and mean, I don't know. I really have no idea what to expect. My, my score prediction on Friday. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I'm really right. undecided. So, uh, should be a heck of a game though. Should be fun and uh, cool to get that rivalry renewed. So again, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back Saturday evening. Won't be that late. Won't be nearly as late as the uh, last week. So catch uh, uh, the post game show Saturday night wherever you get your podcast. You can catch the video version probably the next day. I imagine who will uh, want to drive home before <laughs> uploading the video version on uh, on Sunday. But catch us after the game for our post game to Oklahoma and Nebraska. And of course, we'll be back. Next Wednesday, same time, same place, recapping uh, our final thoughts on the Nebraska game and looking ahead to the Big 12 opener with the Sooners welcoming in Kansas State next Saturday in Norman. So you can catch both of those shows, all of the All Sooners podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. You can click on the player list on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. John Hoover, who had to tag out for that third segment, and Ryan Chapman. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time from Lincoln on Saturday. See you guys then.